Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. I am on location at Vista Outdoor Headquarters in Anoka, Minnesota, which took me 23 minutes to get here today, which is uh, uh, one of one of the wonderful things about the relationship between Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, and Federal Ammunition. Um, I always think about Federal and Perina in the same category, the two companies that have been walking side by side with uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever in our conservation mission for, for four decades. And part of the reason is just the, the natural proximity of being 23 minutes away where we can meet uh, the guys that I'm going to be talking to today for uh, a lunch followed by a big buck hunter competition, which happens pretty much annually. Um, and Pheasants Forever members out there will be disappointed to know that We've never won. It's always been federal that wins the big buck hunter competition, but I guess that's somewhat intuitive too because <laughs> these guys are hell of a good shots. Uh, and these guys being uh, Ryan Bronson. A lot of folks know Ryan. Uh, he's, he's made the rounds for many, many years going to state meetings, chapter banquets. You always see him at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. He's federal's. Director of Conservation and Public Policy. Ryan, thank you very much for, for joining on the wing today. Uh, we're happy to be here, and thanks for coming on over to our shop so we can chat, you know, in the in the plush offices <laughs> of Vista Outdoor. Will, will there be a big buck hunter competition at some point today? Uh, much like the Department of Interior, we have a big buck uh, hunter game down <laughs> in our cafeteria, so uh, we'll be down there. <laughs> we have to get the, the old... Old school duck hunter. Oh, because I Nintendo? think. Well, I think that I might be better at that. I might may be able to give you guys a run for your money if we we change the game. But I know the precedent has been set that we play big buck hunter. Well, the dirty little secret is that any twelve year old or anyone who spends any time in arcades or bars more than me, which is most people, can beat me at big buck hunter because I I I'm not very good at that. The fact that I'm able to beat the pheasants forever staff is more an indication of how bad you guys are. <laughs> I saw that truck coming a mile away, but I didn't get out in front of it. <laughs> uh, and the other guy joining us today, John Zinnel, uh, Federal's Education and Conservation Outreach Manager, really the champion for the connection between Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, our chapters, and um, and Federal in the R3 effort. Uh, John, thank you for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. That uh, I had a 20-minute commute, too, but I do that every day, so <laughs> it's not a big deal, but uh, happy to be here. Neither one of you guys live super close to the office. I, Ryan, I know you live in Egan, right? Yeah, I've got a, I've got the commute from Heck. Yeah, because uh, you go straight across the Twin Cities. I have to come up right through downtown St. Paul, uh, right by the capital and drive up you know to, to the north side of the twin cities because the federal factory and our in our corporate headquarters here are both in anoka minnesota and so we're about 25 miles north of minneapolis mm -hmm. and uh, uh and i live about 25 miles south of minneapolis in a, in a suburb down there and it's it's a long commute but we love our house i i can catch fish off my front off my front yard and in the lake there so i'm i'm pretty happy with that so it's worth it and if uh, folks follow you on 
Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, they know that you uh, love your wood ducks too, because I, you have you all spring. You had uh, at a camera inside your wood duck houses. I do. The hashtag wood duck box is mine. I created it. <laughs> uh, you you can follow me at Bronson Ryan. Um, but yeah, we we uh, we moved into our new house uh, last winter, and I re- realized we were on a pond, heavily wooded pond, and I had this Aquaview. Uh, underwater fishing camera and i thought well i bet i could get that in the wood duck box and i played around with it and i got it attached and so i could see into the wood duck box and we went and hung the wood duck boxes up and we were able to watch them and and monitor them all year and it became a thing on social media i was in connecticut this spring and i was introduced to a guy for the connecticut waterfall association and he says you know, there's this guy named Bronson Ryan out in Minnesota that does wood duck stuff. And I'm like, well, I just reversed my names on on social media. I'm Ryan Bronson. That, that was me. And he'd been following my wood ducks. He does the wood duck project for the state of Connecticut. And so I'm I'm part of the wood duck mafia now. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll come back to your your full background but you mentioned john that you you have a 20 mile commute too yeah well so 20 minutes i live in elk river so i actually live in the yeah in the community where ryan grew up and so you see his name scratched all over at all the local restaurants (laughs) and establishments and and uh you know nothing to see yeah yeah keep her moving yeah keep her moving (laughs) yeah you get all the midget hockey sponsorships you know from back in the day and so yeah it's a great community we've uh we've been there for about three years now um moved back to minnesota from out in Utah so spent a few years out west and now back to the Midwest my wife and I are both from Iowa originally and so it's kind of fun to, to be back in the Midwest living life and and uh, loving hunting birds cool yeah cool well for listeners my hope through this podcast today is to share a little bit about the relationship the long storied relationship between pheasants forever quail forever and federal ammunition um, talk to you a little bit about Prairie Storm and the royalty that exists because of the, the partnership on the boxes um, and, and make it uh, and then also talk a little bit about ballistics, too, and, and maybe a little bit about um, some of the new stuff that's coming up over the course of the next year. Ultimately, if you're a Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever member, you should absolutely have federal ammunition in your shotgun bag in your you know every time you're shooting um, at a rooster at a covey rise at a rough grouse making sure that uh, our members know what having that box of shells with our logo on it means to our mission of wildlife habitat so we're gonna we're gonna talk pretty in depth about that relationship that exists and how much um, that benefits our habitat mission before we go down that road, I want to talk a little bit more uh, um, to each of you guys just to get your background because um, it, it's really intimately connected with Pheasants Forever over a long period of time. And, it, you know, it, it's also, you know, as I look at Ryan, your connection with Federal dates back before your your birth even. I yeah. mean, you're you're – like three generations in, if I recall correctly. Two generations. Okay. Um, so in, in 1972, my dad took a job working in the factory at Federal and moved to Elk River, Minnesota, which is just up the road from the factory, and he was working in the factory. And I was born then in 1973. Uh, so a year before I was born, 
you know, my family was connected to federal and my dad worked for federal until he retired just a few years ago, mm-hmm. 40 some years. And so I, I just grew up my whole life. I've shot federal and everyone in this community does. Cause everyone mm-hmm. knows somebody that works in the factory. It's like the number two employer in, in town, right? We're the number one private, nope. okay. private employer in Anoka County. Wow. Uh, we're, we're number one in the city of Anoka. Uh, so, uh, the old Hoffman Engineering, actually, which was at one point started by Federal Cartridge, uh, they make electrical boxes and things, and they've had a couple different ownerships. They're here in town. I think they're the number two employer. Okay. And their, their factory is right next to our factory. So when you drive along Highway 10 and you see that big factory complex uh, on, on the south side of Highway 10 as you come through on Highway, you know, heading to the lake country, uh, of central Minnesota, you, you go right by our factory and everything that we build is there. Uh, we've got center fire, rim fire, shot shell there. We make our own primers. You know, we build everything, uh, right here on site. We have a few components that we bring in from the outside, but by and large, we build everything right here. So I've, I've been part of this company, uh, since birth, uh, my, <laughs> you know, they put food on my table, put, uh, put a roof over my, my head when I was a, a kid, when I was in college, they had a program where employees, kids could come back and work in the factory mm-hmm. for the summers. So I spent three summers in the factory building shot shells. I ran the uh, winders and the headers in the shot shell factory. And so I, I, I worked, you know, eight hour factory days in, in the air, in the unair conditioned factory, uh, to, to help pay through for college where I got a degree in biology mm-hmm. with a wildlife emphasis. And, uh, I have, I've, Hunting and, and the shooting sports have been a part of me since the beginning. One of the reasons my dad came here to work was that the, the discount on ammunition and things <laughs> that employees got. And so I I was never at a loss for ammunition as a kid. I had unlimited twenty two ammunition uh, because it was all factory seconds. Huh. You know, so I never I never shot a uh, a shot shell round or a twenty two round as a kid that didn't have some sort of you know cosmetic blemish on it. Hmm. Uh, so today when I get the opportunity to shoot ammo that's clean and pristine, I'm very happy. But, uh, th- those cosmetically blemished shells were, were more than reliable for us. Um, so that, that was my, that was my upbringing. And then I went off, got my degree in biology mm-hmm. and worked in conservation, uh, pretty much my whole career. My first job out of college was at the Minnesota state legislature where I worked on the environment committee. Eventually working my way up where I was, uh, I ran the Environment Finance Committee in the Minnesota House and had a great time doing that and then left government for a brief period when I went to work for the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association up in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. That's where I started to learn really the nonprofit side of the business, working, you know, fundraising and, and, and things. And they have a similar model to Pheasants Forever mm-hmm. where all of the chapters actually keep their revenue and it stays local and they control those dollars. And working with passionate volunteers taught me a lot of lessons. Uh, from there I went and I had this whole plan where I was going to move out west with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, in Colorado. And I was going to work for Cal- Colorado Division of Wildlife uh, out in Denver. And then 9-11 happened. Okay. And when nine and when nine eleven happened, when the when the towers fell, if you remember, the economy tanked, and so this job that I had lined up with Colorado Division of Wildlife was eliminated before I had the chance to start. No kidding. And so I was unemployed and found myself desperate uh, to find some work, and I ended up going 
back into the political world, uh, working for a person that I had, had worked for at the legislature quite a bit, um, who went on to be elected governor of Minnesota. And uh, at that point, I joined the administration, worked in the Department of Natural Resources for several years until Federal Cartridge called me up and said that their longtime director of conservation, Bill Stevens, was retiring and would I be interested in leaving state service to come work uh, work here? Hmm. Well, being a kid who grew up in the company, sure. you know, having, you know, my dad still worked there at the time, you know, I jumped at that chance and I've never looked back and 13 years later, I'm still here. So the the, the person that became governor, that was Tim Pawlenty, mm-hmm. correct? And then... My memory says to me that you helped write some of the outdoor heritage legacy language. Is is my memory right, or am I off? No, that so so the in Minnesota we have uh, we passed an amendment back in two thousand and eight that created uh, a new tax on sales tax on everything, and it a portion of that was dedicated to habitat. Mm -hmm. And then, so that original legislation, the first time that it ever showed up in Minnesota was in 1998. Mm-hmm. Ten years earlier. Senator Bob Lassard was in my boss's office at the time, Representative Mark Holston, okay. who actually was DNR commissioner for yep. a while as well. And they were talking about this system that Missouri had that had this source of dedicated funding. And they were talking, and they trying to figure out, you know, what levels would we need to meet the habitat needs for the state. And what we kind of arrived at at that time was we needed $90 million a year. How would we come up with $90 million a year? I went back to my office, pulled out the budget book, figured out what our state sales tax generated, figured out the closest percentage that we could to increase the sales tax to do that. And at that time, it was three sixteenths of 1%. Okay, I and remember so that. For a decade, people were talking three sixteenths. Three sixteenths, yep. No, I remember that. Bud Grant in front of a podium with three sixteenths right. imagery around it. Right, and three sixteenths, I mean, it, <clears throat> it, it, it was the right number. Uh, you know, there was some marketing gold there that never, you know, when we were kids and, you know, when you went to the football game, there was always a guy in the end zone holding up a John 316. Oh, yeah. You know, the the, the famous yeah. uh, Bible passage. We never really took advantage of that. Hmm. I guess the blasphemy side just isn't doesn't work for the uh, conservation crowd. But so we sat down and on a on a legal piece of notepaper, I scratched out what the First Amendment, you know, would kind of look like. Hmm. And that's and when that we took up to house research and house research drafted it but uh not that it's worth anything but the very first time that that concept was put on paper to become a bill mm-hmm. i it was on my notepad wow that's so. pretty that's a very proud moment because that that went on uh to be voted on by minnesotans in mm-hmm. 2008 and it uh passed overwhelmingly yep uh i think it was like 66 percent of minnesotans voted to pass a tax upon themselves Mm -hmm. uh for the purpose of better wildlife habitat in this state um congratulations i i knew there was a component there that's that's a really proud moment yeah well it's how do you put that on a resume? You can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, you mentioned Bill Stevens. And, you know, I think, again, my memory is that Bill was sort of a pioneer in the 
I guess the ammunition outdoors shooting industry and bridging that industry to conservation. Is, is that accurate? He was one of a group of pioneers. Uh, so he was the second conservation guy for the company. The Federal actually hired a guy in 1937 named George McCullough. He was a former Department of Conservation commissioner in Minnesota, and he worked in that job for 30 years. And what he worked on almost that entire time was on pure conservation, not so much on the hunting promotion side because it was, you know, it was the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. It, we didn't need any work on the promotion of hunting it was the conservation side and he had started along with the company founder federal's founder charles horn 4-h conservation camps and so from 1937 up and through the 80s 4-h camps were common where kids would go these were farm kids for the most part and they would go and they would learn about conservation kind of following that 4-h mission of educating the youth in new and innovative ways for the future because you know sometimes adults are more established and don't want to don't want to change and so that was really where a big part of the modern conservation ethic came from was those camps you know teaching about protecting fence lines and all of the lessons that we seem to forget once the or or the lessons that we learned after the dust bowl Mm -hmm. you know protecting protecting edges you know all of those things and so that was a part of you know federal was very integral in, in starting that and then he he left in the in the late 60s and bill stevens started in 1967 continued that legacy for a while but then the 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 big thing that bill was involved in and in, in, there was a several but he helped start the 4-h shooting sports program hmm. so continuing that legacy with 4-h but realizing demographics were changing and this is back in in the 70s you know where even be if you remember 1982 is the peak year for hunting license sales in america mm. so it wasn't it hadn't crashed yet but people were starting to see we need to pay attention to this urbanizing population mm. they're getting more disconnected and so he helped start the 4-8 shooting sports program that's one of the things he's he's really well known for but during that era winchester and remington and federal all had conservation programs in fact, I I can pull out of my uh, file cabinet some of the old publications that Winchester Publishing used to make that were all about game species and, and things and provided them to the to the general public. Well, through the through the 70s and the 80s, all of the other companies kind of those programs went away. Hmm. And Bill Stevens, while he was part of this this group of conservation-minded people within the companies, he ended up being the only one that survived and continued through. And I always attribute that to the fact that when Federal started in 1922, when you think about 1922, Dust Bowl was there, the uh, Depression was, was about to hit. Wildlife populations were at near all-time lows. And, you know, this was the era when, when the Boone and Crockett Club was collecting trophies and antlers to create a record for big game animals because they thought they would never exist again. Hmm. They thought they were all going to go the way of the buffalo. So the company started in this era. And the early leadership, Charles Horn and, and the early leadership of Federal, recognized if we're going to start an ammo company and we're going to have a market long term, we need to start protecting the people that are customers protecting the things that our customers need and that was wildlife 
And so conservation has been a core part of our ethic since the very beginning. And it is today we recently came out with a new um, company mission statement, and, and conservation is a core part of what the federal ammunition mission is. Hmm. So I think that's that's one of the reasons that Bill Stevens continued uh, within the company. But he also brought a lot of value within within our community. He was there during you know the hard days dealing with the 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 lead shot bans that affected waterfall. He recognized early on that uh, this lawsuit that was pending was inevitable and that we needed to work and put a lot of effort into developing alternative shot. Mm-hmm. And so he pushed the company to innovate. And so in 1973, before the lead shot ban had even taken place, Federal came to market with steel shot. Hmm. Iron shot first and then steel shot. And it, it was horrible back then. It was it was not good. Um, we've made a lot of improvements since then. But, you know, you had two choices. The other companies chose to fight until the bitter end, uh, the steel shot mandate. Federal said, I think we're going to lose this, guys. Let's let's come up with an innovation that can that can address it, and that's what they did. And for a long time, federal dominated the waterfall market at the beginning of the steel shot days, because you know we we were the, that innovator. It's part of that conservation ethic we have. Um, and you know, and Bill was also one of the biggest champions of the Second Amendment and gun rights, uh, and that continues to be a central part of what our company is. The conservation and gun rights are two sides of the same coin, in our opinion. And and we'll get back to Bill Stevens in a moment because he's he was integral in the relationship and the creation uh, that exists mm-hmm. with Pheasants Forever. But a, a, as you talked about um, this p- p- this position, the pol- conservation policy position that started in 1937. 1937, which it's it's easy to remember for us because it's the same year Pittman Roberts. PR, was. yeah. yeah. So you are, since 1937, the third person to hold this job. Right. That's that. That's a statement on a variety of levels, right? Do, do you feel that burden? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's cool, right? But it's also, um, you know, well, look at that. John's pointing uh, – Above your door, you have Bill Stevens' nameplate mm-hmm. right in your line of sight. Uh, you must have taken that from his his office at the factory, and and you think about that every day. I did. Well, I inherited his, his desk. I inherited his phone number. Um, I still get his mail. Is that right? Yeah. There, we still get letters from uh, local 4-H clubs, uh, you know, sending letters to Bill Stevens. And unfortunately, Bill's not been with us for almost a decade now. Hmm. Uh, he passed away from cancer a few years after uh, leaving leaving the company. But yeah, it's I I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. How how well did you know Bill? I knew Bill pretty well. Um, he, I mean, he and I had worked together on a few issues uh, with Minnesota DNR when I was there. Um, actually, as a punk kid in college, I came up to him when I was working in the factory in the summers, and and I said, "How do I get a job working with you?" Huh. And you know, I was a punk college kid at the time. Yeah. I don't think he took me terribly seriously, <laughs> um, and so you know, it t- it took me a while to finally get back there, but I finally did. Wow. Um, but so Bill and I overlapped for several months in the company, and then you know, th- for the first two years that that I was in the job, I would pick up the phone every week and call him yeah. and say, "Hey, I'm dealing with this. What do you think?" And and he 
Bill always had an opinion, and he always offered it. Um, and uh, you know, we've we've innovated a little bit uh, from from Bill's time, but you know, like our youth ammo program, where we help support youth 4-H mm-hmm. clubs and, and high school shooting trap shooting teams, clubs. Yeah. That's a program that Bill started and that I inherited and that is operates pretty close to the same way that Bill ran it back when when he did it. Actually, John Zinnel now manages it for us. Um, it, but it's we I inherited an email and a postal mail list mm-hmm. from him. And, and so we're now electronic. Um, <laughs> um, but we, you know, we operate you know, that same program that continues, uh, for him. And, uh, a few years ago, uh, there was a unit within the, uh, Mille Lacs wildlife management area that the DNR dedicated to bill, uh, you know, after he passed away. So that mm. was, that was pretty cool. So there's a unit up there with Bill Stevens name on it. And for folks that are rough grouse aficionados, that's the Mille Lacs, um, WMA is where Gordon Gillian did all of his research and it's, it's a historic piece right. of property. There's no, there's no grouse there. If you're listening, don't, uh, <laughs> that, that's a big lie. It's, it's one of the most fabulous places to chase rough grouse, woodcock, and there happens to be a pheasant or two around there too. And Bill had actually had been when he was in college, he'd done some summer field work with Gordon. No kidding. You know, so there was a connection there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to, to know Bill during my early years with Pheasants Forever and um, just a tremendous human being, and he's he's greatly missed. Mm-hmm. So if his family is listening, um, they should know how much uh, Bill Stevens is meant to the conservation community and the, and the legacy he has left. Mm-hmm. Um well, without getting too somber and, and finishing up on your background, um, you're a lab guy. You're a big-time bird hunter. Uh, when, when I was preparing notes for today's conversation, you slipped in uh, a, a little Easter egg, I like to call mm-hmm. it, into my notes, which you did in a press release with Jared Wicklett, our PR, PR manager, uh, so a funny, funny side note, what we're doing, I think it was a press release about a renewal mm-hmm. and, uh, we had a quote from you in it and along with, you know, your title and you slipped in, in addition to your title that you're, I think, president of the Arachnid Society. Well, and that got through the press release. Right, right. <laughs> now... So, no, no, yeah, are you going to defend yourself now or tell us about the Arachnid so Society? I, I am not the president <laughs> of the Arachnid Sportsman's Society because we're in a narco-syndicalist collective and we have no chief executive. Um, but the, the Arachnid Society is an industry group. where a whole, We've got about 35 members now. In the, they work for state wildlife agencies and conservation groups and gun companies and in the media, in the outdoor media. There's a whole bunch of us. We're unified by three things. Um, we want to protect spiders and spider habitat <laughs> to maintain them at huntable population levels. We uh, want to get uh, bro country off the radio, <laughs> and we're opposed to premature Christmas decorating. <laughs> so, uh, And now you've seen a little bit more about the, the personality that is Ryan Bronson. <laughs> well, starting fake conservation. I once started ditch parrots in perpetuity as well, um, but I, you know. Thankfully, you've retired that. It was it, it was getting to be heavy competition for yeah. pheasants forever. Well, Shakespeare said mockery is the sincerest form of flattery. So there you have it. Yeah. 
<laughs> We've quoted Shakespeare and the Arachnid Society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, on that note, John. Yeah, yeah. How do I follow? Uh, help how, me out, brother. How do, how do I follow that <laughs> one? Give, give me your background a little bit. You grew up a uh, lifelong bird hunter. Uh, you know, you, you're as I introduced you, you're the champion of the connection between Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, Federal, and the R3 initiative. Um, walk me through how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So I was uh, I was born uh, in southern Minnesota and uh, raised in northern Iowa for most of my life. Two older brothers. Uh, so I got to spend a lot of time being the bird dog before I was able to go hunting. So I was always out there running around and spending a lot of time in the field doing that. And so, yeah, lifelong bird hunter, love upland hunting, love waterfowl hunting, um, love big game hunting. And so I also uh, have a direct tie with Bill Stevens, who we were just talking about. So I was uh, a 4-H shooting sports guy growing up. So my dad was an instructor. My brother shot in the program. I shot in the program and then was able to go through at the beginning of their um, national ambassador training. So went through and represented then the organization across the country, uh, meeting with donors like Federal and Bill Stevens being that representative and one that was there at the table to start the program and help get it along um, was one of my mentors growing Hmm. up. So I got to spend a lot of time on the road with Bill and traveling to various shows with him, whether it be SHOT Show or Safari Club or Rocky Mountain Elk or Pheasant Fest. How old were you when you were doing this? Uh, So I was right at the end of high school. So I was probably 16, 17, 18 for three years doing it as I was traveling how many other ambassadors were there? Um, So when I went through, there was only about a dozen of us from a dozen different, well, probably eight or ten states. Um, But just last week, I was down in Texas um, speaking to the 2019 class of National 4-H ambassadors that we still support the organization, have from the beginning, and will continue on, and we support the ambassador program. So there was um, 30 kids from about 20 states that were there um, learning leadership skills and meeting with uh, state and federal wildlife officials and talking about career paths and education and what it is that they're you know maybe looking to do as they're continuing and finishing up on their high school um, years before they go off on to college and uh it's a great opportunity for us as a as a manufacturer and as a, a supporter of conservation programs through you know all of our partners like Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and, and all the other conservation groups um, to go and talk to this group of kids and hear their stories of where they come from, whether it be you know a, a gal from West Virginia or a, or a young man from California and how they were raised up and the 4-H shooting sports program not only taught them that life skill of getting out there and shooting, but now getting to learn all of these other skills and leadership and communication and, mm. and what's out there for jobs, right? Most of them are look back and think, holy smokes, I never in a million years thought I could go to school and, and participate, you know, in these different things as they're growing up, right? And so um, some of their life stories and, and, you know, paths that they're really looking to do, I mean, will almost bring you to tears listening yeah. to it. So it's just a, it's a very powerful uh, program and, uh, and really the creation of the crop and these kids as they're as they're going through the program to learn those skills and and move on and 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 that ties directly to things like that pheasants forever is doing i mean you guys have um several leadership programs on the youth front you know you have your um 
Forever Shooting Sports program. You have your Focus on Forever Training program. Um, you have your uh, national youth, youth leadership. Yeah, youth leadership, yeah. you know, where you get those kids from all across the country representing their regions that get to go and work on, on not only their, their state issues, but also on regional issues and, and federal stuff where, okay. where you actually every year take a group out to D.C., right? They yeah, get to they spend, just came back. Yeah, they yeah. get to spend some time on the Hill with some of your, you know, conservation leadership folks that are out there working on policy work, which is, I mean, gosh, talk about an outstanding opportunity for those kids to to partake in that and and really, truly work with the best of the best, right? I mean... Yeah, they just came back, and, you know, Dave Nomson and Howard Vincent were out there with them, our, our vice president of government affairs and president and CEO, respectively, and they both come back and say, you know, these group of young leaders, you know, they're just unbelievably talented, articulate, and they they got this big smile on their face, and, like, there's hope for the planet. You yeah, know? absolutely. Because you, you can read the news, you can you get down about uh, hunter recruitment numbers, but then you spend some time with a 14 or a 16-year-old that is growing up learning the same way we did, you know, walking out the back door, um, hunting with mom and dad, you know, and getting the uh, understanding, the connection to the outdoors, to wildlife, to conservation, and they all get it, and it all, you know, works into place like a Rubik's Cube should. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Well, how cool as that program continues to grow and be developed and continue on, like, you know, once those, you know, that crop will start to overturn, and and you guys will be hiring those kids, you know what I mean? I mean, they'll be going through college and and circling back in. I mean, you're a perfect example of that, right? Like, you're this high schooler, you're kind of under the wing of Bill Stevens, and here you are. Yeah, you know, I'm guessing 15 years later, something like that. And yeah, I mean, it here truly... you are, it, it, very similar job. How quickly did you know that's what you wanted to do? You know, it was always it's funny. I tell the story when I speak with them every year, and I talk about how I did not want to fill out all the paperwork. I didn't want to go through the whole process of of getting enrolled, and so I was that guy that literally was scrambling to get my letters of recommendation from the county agent and all that stuff. Um, sent in the day before it was due and uh, lucky enough you know that that my parents were there to poke and prod me to make me do it and I I did it and I absolutely you know literally turned you know what my career path and what I wanted to do you know right into the path of where I am today and I've been blessed to you know do what I love and and so I I went off to college and uh, got a degree in parks natural resources and a degree in geology with an emphasis in environmental science and all during college I did uh, my first associate's degree. I did some some land management work uh, in southeastern Minnesota and spent a lot of time working on, uh, um, you know, food plots and prairie plots and and wildfires and all those different things that we worked on. And then when I went and did my bachelor's degree, uh, I was lucky enough to get picked up and and work with Safari Club International has a uh, American Wilderness Leadership School um, south of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, which I got to go as a student uh, when I was in high school um, because of my relationship with 4-H. Th- they chose and they sent all the ambassadors to this hmm. this facility for a week-long training on conservation leadership and understanding you know, how hunting can be used and is used as a wildlife management tool with state and federal wildlife agencies. Um, and then you also learn shooting sports and the tie of, of PR dollars back into conservation um, and was lucky enough to get hired back on. 
gone. So I spent all my summers through college going back out and, and spending time in Jackson, Wyoming, uh, working in this facility where I started doing dishes and mowing lawns and doing all that fun work that you would do at a facility and, and ended up, uh, you know, leaving there as a, after college, getting hired full time and managing the facility. Cool. So here I brought in um, educators and, and uh, um, leaders from across the country. It was an adult education facility. So teachers and superintendents and um, even some state wildlife uh, staff would come in and they would learn all these things and meet with the the BLM and the Forest Service and Wyoming Game and Fish and truly get an understanding of, you know, the West and how the West is managed because a lot of these folks, you know, anything east of the Mississippi really has no idea that there's just so much public land right. out there available and that's their land, that's our land, that's there for them to be able to recreate on and, and uh, hunt and fish and camp and, and boat. And so um, so that was fun. So that's kind of what drove me then is after this whole thing, I was able to, to get a uh, job right out of college and uh, manage this education facility. Uh, Midwestern boy gets to move to Tucson, Arizona, <laughs> and uh, be the youngest on staff by a good 30 or 40 years, I'd imagine. And so I got to learn a lot from mentors and spend some time there and, and worked for Safari Club um, for a handful of years before uh, moving on to the Mule Deer Foundation, where they were looking to develop and implement a youth shooting sports leadership and a conservation program within their chapter base. Mm. And so I spent uh, all of about six years or so within that organization building and developing their youth program where we didn't want to redevelop, you know, we didn't want to reinvent a wheel, right? We wanted to be able to take these strong programs that are going and tie everything together and help build. Um, a unified front, right, to be able to move forward and get more youth and families involved in outdoor and conservation activities. And one of those partnerships was working so closely with the PF staff mm. when they're doing all of their events and the focus on forever and, and their, uh, you know, um, adopt a team program right. and all those um, to where we would bring all the organizations together to host an event. So that way there was outlets at the end of that event that those kids and those families could then say, you know, boy, my, my boy really enjoyed watching those, those dog trainers and really enjoyed that. And so we want to go and take part in some dog training weeks and different things that are in their local communities that, you know, they can go out and learn from and take that and hopefully later on down the line become, you know, stewards of the land and, and uh, eventually maybe jump into some shooting or, or some hunting activities at that point. So so for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever members that are listening, they're like, wow, this is really a long introduction to two <laughs> guys, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I, want, I wanted to go through all this to establish that authenticity. I mean, here we are, federal ammunition. You know, ultimately the goal in this business is to show, sell shotgun shells. But if you, listeners were really paying attention as we go through Ryan Bronson's background and your biology degree, you helped write Minnesota's legacy amendment for crying out loud, which is creating millions of acres of, of habitat on the landscape. When we talked to John Zinnel and, and your background with 4-H shooting and working for Mule Deer Foundation and SCI, you know, this is not, these positions at federal are not window dressing. These positions that Ryan and John have, I mean, they live conservation. They understand what Pheasants Forever Chapter volunteers 
and Quail Forever chapter volunteers are doing every single day, putting on banquets, uh, what our folks are doing in Washington, D.C., talking with legislators about the Farm Bill and getting CRP on the ground, where we're at and trying to get uh, a new generation of, of hunters into the outdoors. I mean, this is not in any way, shape, or form window dressing. This is as integrated into this business as exists in the United States. The federal is 100% committed to conservation and recruiting uh, a new generation of hunters. And that's why, you know, w we went on so in-depth because I, I am just always so proud as a Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever employee to work with companies that get it, they pure and simple get it. Um, the other string we been pulling on through it throughout the entire conversation so far as bill stevens mm -hmm. we've talked about bill stevens a lot the 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 collaborator on the pheasants forever side of things to bill stevens is joe dugan and i'm gonna i'm gonna have ryan kind of tell the backstory here but i want to say it was circa 1986 ish mm -hmm. bill stevens and joe dugan Got together. I don't think Big Buck Hunter existed at no, that time. No. <laughs> but they got together and hatched a plan. So Joe Dugan came to Bill and said, why don't you guys build some ammo with our logo on it and our members will buy it up and and then give us a royalty on it. And uh, in all honesty, Bill Stevens, the first time Joe Dugan brought it up, said No. Uh, you know, because all it was going to do is cost, it was going to cost. Remember, we're in a private industry where we're competing and price is one of those big things we fight on. Um, and so Joe, who worked for Pheasants Forever and is a, is a dear friend of mine, I've known him forever back when I worked at the legislature. Joe went to a retailer. He went to Gander Mountain, which was also at that time a Minnesota-based company. Yep. And he went to Gander Mountain and said, if if we had an ammo company that would build ammo and put our logo on it and pay us a royalty outside, would you stock it? And Gander Mountain said, yeah, we'd do it. And then Joe came back to Bill and said, I've already sold the ammo for you. <laughs> Which is quintessential Joe, right? Right. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's – Which, I mean, kudos to him because yeah. that uh, – well, I didn't mean to cut you off. That launched the whole thing. It did. It launched the whole thing. And I think it's an example of an attitude that Pheasants Forever has – Look, John and I work with every nonprofit out there, um, and everyone's got their hand out. Mm -hmm. And Pheasants Forever is one of those organizations, and I think it in part is based on the fact that the way your chapters operate and they keep their money, the, there's more of a, a, a capitalist, you know, free market, you know, vision there that Pheasants Forever comes to us and, yeah, with the handout, but explaining – how how on the backside it's going to benefit us and mm. that was a great example if we you know if we're going to add create a product and add price to it which mm -hmm. which is what it is when you when you, sure. when, when you pay uh, the royalty cuz we can't charge more for it at, at the shelf you know, right you got to you still got to outcompete everybody else right we still have to we still have to beat the, our competitors on price so if we do that um is there a guaranteed market for it and there was a market for it you know Gander said they'd stock it. More importantly, Pheasants Forever members have bought it. Mm -hmm. And not just Pheasants Forever members. We we come across people all the time that buy it, and they're not members, but they, it's one of the ways that they help support the organization. Now, we would like them to become members, 
and we would like them, you know, to also buy the ammunition. But, but and and we're going to talk about that yeah. because you're you're absolutely putting your money where your mouth is in right. trying to get incentivize all those pheasant and quail hunters out there who are out shooting birds to actually become members. But we're going to get to that. We'll get to that. So so we started small. Uh, it started out as a as a one retailer only opportunity. We had other retailers that were interested in it. We put it in the catalog uh, in the early 90s and it and it it went along and it 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 did good business. You know, in the in the PF load, PF 154. And, the, <laughs> and, and that's the that's the load number. Mm. And f- in our naming construct P for shotgun loads is always premium, hmm. and but when we put the F behind it, it was it now is pheasants forever. The load's one fifty four, uh, and it was a two and three quarter inch. I don't even know what the dram equivalent is on it, uh, c- but it's a fifteen hundred foot per second ounce and a quarter shot. It's a big heavy load. Yeah. It, you know it takes down pheasants, and and we did that uh, for many years, and then in the in the mid two thousands. We came out with Prairie Storm, yeah. And when Prairie Storm came out, we that was really a cool project. And, and Bob, you and, and the marketing team at Pheasants Forever and all the members were pretty critical to it because we came to you and said, "We've got this idea. Here's how it functions. Mm-hmm. It uses the same flight control wad that we used in Black Cloud with the yep. rear stopping brakes, and we're going to have a mixture of shot." And we showed it to you. We 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 tested names with you guys, and Pheasants Forever members were the ones that picked Prairie Storm. Yep. We we had a whole bunch of different artwork for the box, and we tested them with Pheasants Forever members, and it was Pheasants Forever members that picked the artwork for the box. Yep. So PF really helped us market this product. Our engineers did a great job inventing it and coming up with a perfectly optimized uh, pheasant load. But, you know, PF helped us market it, and that boosted our level of sales of royalty uh, products. So products that have Pheasants Forever's logo on it, I mean, they doubled immediately that it, year. Did it that quickly, huh? Yeah, and and we were concerned. We thought, well, it's gonna, it's gonna. Whenever you come out with a new product, it mm-hmm. cannibalizes the old product. We saw that with Black Cloud. When Black Cloud came out, people started buying Black Cloud, and they stopped buying our premium steel loads for waterfall. Uh, that didn't happen so much with with Prairie Storm. We mm. actually we gobbled up market share it grew and so you know those royalty checks that we write to pheasants forever are significantly yeah. larger than they were back in the old days and we're happy about that that's that's such a great program cuz if we're writing big royalty checks that means we're 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 having big sales right and so that that is such a great partnership yeah you mentioned um i i had the good fortune of being around at the time to be involved in that and i'm super proud um, to have pulled together chapter volunteers to come into a kind of the quintessential, you know, uh, reverse glass, yeah. right? They they didn't know, right? I think we did three different focus groups, mm-hmm. maybe a hundred people from. They were pre- predominantly Minnesota chapter volunteers. They came into the Twin Cities and to this nondescript office building, and I want to say it was in Golden Valley, mm-hmm. and they had no idea who or what they were doing other than pheasants forever asked them to be there Mm -hmm. and they came into this uh this room round table and there was a facilitator and me and you and tim brandt and jason nash were on the other side of the window Mm -hmm. nobody could see us right it was everything you see in those commercials Mm -hmm. 
and uh, the facilitator would, was asking questions about ammunition, and you know, I I was super proud at how how tremendous market penetration federal has at even at that time within our members. Our members mm-hmm. absolutely get how involved you are in in conservation but they tested names am i allowed to float the one name i remember sure because <laughs> i think this was the name you guys were and I, maybe not you but it was the name billed to me as what the winning name was going to be mm-hmm. and i i was left I don't think so. And then that name was Ringneck Rocket. Yes. Remember? Yep. And, and I was like, uh, uh, what's the other one? <laughs> <laughs> and I think there were three or four names. And when I heard Prairie Store, I was like, our members are going to, that is the one. I, I didn't come up with it, but I could identify, like, that's going to be the winner. And if I recall, you had maybe six different types of packaging. And I think when I saw... Because the, the winning packaging is, from that time is very close to what it is today. Mm-hmm. And I recall it being, um, uh, I, I remember thinking about like heavy metal guitar hero video game. Mm-hmm. And that's that was basically what won. Yeah, so th- so we've got a box in here. So so we're looking at it here. Obviously, the listeners can't see it, but it's, it's that metal stylized Prairie storm logo. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it's got rivets in it. And yeah, it was that. It, it that was, was guitar it. hero or something. Wasn't it? It's so, it w- I mean, it was pl- riffing off of the video games at the time. So, Play, uh, I think it was Socrates that said that plagiarism is the sincerest <laughs> form of flattery. Um, well, I'm not saying anything was plagiarized, but right. it was. It, I mean, that's yeah. when you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, that's that's kind of what popped into my head. It, and that that you're absolutely right. It was in that era. It had that feel. It, uh, but the other cool thing about it was it it was Prairie Storm, mm-hmm. and it had this rooster rising up out of the grass right. and bright colors, and the sky behind it was this yellow. Like, you could tell that there was a storm coming, and the sun was shining through it, and, that, and it created that feel, and and that was part of it. And then, you know, when we talked to your members and things about what do you think of when you think of a Prairie Storm, you know, I remember one of the members said, well, I think about – you know, lightning strikes and grass fires and an orange line yeah. going across restoring habitat. Yeah. And so when you think about, you know, when you get in that line of guys in South Dakota on opening weekend, it's this orange line going across the prairie. If they've got prairie storm in their gun, they're restoring habitat. Yeah. Well, and the other thing it plays off of, you guys had really established uh, Black Cloud a mm-hmm. couple of years before. And prairie storm black cloud i mean it was kind of a natural line connection mm-hmm. and our members were already shooting black cloud wh- as a non-toxic for pheasant hunting mm-hmm. so it was just such a natural transition but there's you know like i said a hundred chapter volunteers that mm-hmm. you know they do so much great stuff uh putting on banquets doing projects prescribed burns um, you know, youth mentor hunts, and, and they they were a part of uh, you know being this this market test. And you know, there's a hundred folks out there that could kind of puff puff up their chest. I know some because we had gotten a couple cases pre packaging too, mm-hmm. where it just had like this 
uh, name badge label around the, each shell mm-hmm. <laughs> and said Prairie Storm number five. And I got mm-hmm. to pass those out to some of those volunteers. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, I get to shoot like shell number six, you know. <laughs> that was a really, really fun, um, you know, part of the history of the relationship my first bird with those test shells before we came to market the next year when i might even before we had finalized the name it was december of the year before we came to market and i was out in north dakota uh by lamore north dakota mm. hunt, hunting a uh, uh, uh plots land out there and we had last bird of the day uh you know it was late walk back truck had a bird bust out of the cattails in the snow and it was a 60-yard shot. And I said, well, it's time to give this new shell a try. And I just swung, and I probably gave it eight feet of lead, maybe more. Pulled the trigger, and it crumpled. Yeah. And, and it was – I don't like taking those long shots, but sometimes, especially when you're product testing, you do it. But I was so – I mean, Delta went and picked it up, and it was stone-cold dead. I didn't have to worry Delta about it. Delta being your black lab at the time. My, my lab yeah. at the time. That was back when she was in her prime. So yeah. we, we we had a lot of fun with, with that shell. But – you know, you talk about Black Cloud, you talk about Prairie Storm. I think those are good examples of what we've tried to do as a company is try to make shot shells and ammunition more than just a commodity. Right. And in, in those cases, I mean, they certainly they perform differently and superior to other products. But helping tell the conservation story related to them, we hope that that gets through to the consumers that, um, you know, you know, if it's on the shelf and you've got generic brand X and you've got Prairie Storm that mm-hmm. is contributing to Pheasants Forever and the conservation mission, we hope that it's more than a commodity and, and you make that choice. Yeah. We're going to try to beat everybody on price, but if we don't, we hope that, that we we think it's worth it. Yeah, that's a great point. And Prairie Storm does, I mean, it's the category killer in my opinion. You know, they, they, they reference that with books. Hank Shaw mentions that when he writes like pheasant quail cottontail, his goal was for it to be a category killer where every other wild game chef can look and say, I can't top that. In my opinion, that's what Prairie Storm did for the upland bird hunter because, yeah, you know, A, number one thing is the contribution back to our upland habitat mission. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like you say, price, you know, you look at it on the shelves and it's competitive with anything else comparable, but then, you know, I bring to it number three, but it's probably number one is the technology, right? And talk about the, the wad and the uniqueness of the shell that Prairie Storm, I mean, ultimately it built off a black cloud, which changed the game for shotgun. Right. So there's there's two main components that make it different. First is the wad. And, and the wad that we use is called the flight control wad. And unlike a traditional wad that is like a flower that opens with the petals that fold back, this is more like a missile where it's got a solid shot cup and it's got tail fins that come out on the back end of, of the shot. So as it flies out... And when it comes out of the muzzle, those tail fins pop out, and it, they start to slow down the shot cup. And by engineering, and there's a lot of engineering in in, the, in that in that shot cup. By by engineering the flight control wad, we can control how quickly or how slowly it pulls off of the Ooh. shot string, and that can affect the pattern quite a bit. So that's the first thing that we do, and we we try to optimize for 40 yards. We want that. We want a complete perfect full pattern at 40 yards so we've we think that we've added 10 yards of of effective range to our product compared to what we do with other things 
pattern's tight when it's close. That's one thing that hunters need to be aware of is, you know, it doesn't have to be a race to shoot that bird in the first 10 feet. Let it get out a little bit. Unless you're hunting with Ryan Bronson, then you do have to race. <laughs> Got to be quick to the trigger, yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. You were saying. <laughs> it's, it's a point of pride to be the last one to shoot and watch the bird fall. But, um, so then uh, the, other, the other thing that we did is we mixed different kinds of shots. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have round shot, and we make Prairie Storm in both lead and steel. Mm-hmm. And uh, the steel version is a spectacular load. And so if you're hunting places where it's required or it's your preference, I absolutely recommend Prairie Storm Steel. Ask for it at your stores. Yep. Um, that's important. Prairie Storm Steel number fours will kill any pheasant on the planet. I agree. Um, so Black Cloud was the first time we did this, but we had a mix of shots. So we have round shot, and then we had what we call flight stopper pellets. Mm-hmm. And the flight stopper pellet is... It's it's mostly round, but it's got a ring around the middle of it. It's like Saturn's ring when you look at it. Mm-hmm. And so those pellets don't fly the same way that round pellets do. They tend to catch the wind. They tend to migrate out towards the edge of the pattern. They spread out more. So if you do a load with all of those pellets, it'll spread out quite a bit. There will be pellets all over the pattern, but those pellets tend to move out more. So if you... Mix them together with round pellets that tend to stay towards the middle of the mm-hmm. pattern. You can start to engineer the pattern. And then you play with the other factor of how much the tail fins deploy to play with that pattern. You know, we can do a heck of a lot with our shell before we even worry about choke. In fact, right. choke, choke is much less important with those products. It can it can get you over the top and get an ultimate load. But uh, So that's what we've done, and, and there's a ton of engineering in that product. It's it's not just it's this isn't your grandfather's shotgun shell. Um, we're using better powders than we ever have before. We're using powders that are more uh, temperature stabilized. So in, even in cold weather, you're not going to get a bunch of unburned powder. Those are things that we're constantly improving. And then the shot is nickel plated lead in the flight stopper configuration, and then copper plated round. And and people ask why do we copper plate? It's two reasons. Uh, one, it helps reduce deformation, but mm-hmm. the other big thing that copper plating does is it reduces uh, it reduces powder or uh, feather pull. It, mm. it doesn't draw in the feathers into the meat as much. Really? So I've it, never heard that before. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons that we do it. Huh? huh. And so in recent years, uh, in the Black Cloud line, we've updated the flight control wad. So it's we call it the flight control flex. Okay. And so that was th- that wad uh, will deploy the old wad. You couldn't shoot it in a heavily ported choke because okay. you needed that muzzle pressure to cause the tail fins to flop out. Gotcha. The flight control flex will do that anyway, uh, so you can shoot it in a heavily ported choke. And Prairie Storm, while it doesn't have that that wad yet, it will have that wad in the future as hmm. we as we transition that direction. It's. And anybody that's shot Prairie Storm knows, and not to be cliche, but it w- has been an absolute game changer, right? Mm-hmm. It's made average shooters considerably better, mm-hmm. and which is important in that, you know, when you take a shot, you don't want to cripple a bird. Right. Right. And, and Prairie Storm has that killing power to put that bird on the ground, make your help your dog with the retrieve, and get that bird on the plate, mm-hmm. which we all want. It's fast. Um, it's a heavy load. There's a lot of pellets, you know, so it thumps you. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it's not a light recoil, uh, products and people should know that ahead of time, but, um, 
increasing that speed helps mm-hmm. improve some shooters. You know, mo- very few people miss ahead of a bird. They mm-hmm. almost always miss behind. Right. And so increasing the speed can give you that, you know, fraction of a few inches that, that maybe will put you on the bird. And one of the great things about the the way that that pattern works, when you think about those flight stopper pellets with that cutting ring, they tend to be out towards the edge of the pattern. Mm-hmm. So if you don't, if you hit the bird with the center of the pattern, you're going to kill it because it's going to have multiple critical hits. But if you only hit it with a few pellets out on the edge of the pattern, chances are those are going to be those flight stopper pellets, right. and those cause more trauma, right. and and so they're more lethal. And so, uh, w- harnessing physics is 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 hard, uh, <laughs> but our but our engineers have done a really good job, and yeah. I'm glad we've got really smart engineers in white lab coats yeah. running around, you know, with slide rules and stuff. You know, so that a suave debonair biologist like I can go out and sell it. <laughs> well, and it, it sell it, um, and people have bought it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a stat. A couple years ago, we did a press release that we've sold with Prairie Storm and the, the Pheasants Forever logoed um, shells since 1986-87. Um, uh, we're, over, we're over a 50 million shells together. Yeah. And every one of those shells has created a royalty that's gone into the ground to create more habitat. That's that's a massive statement. You like to say a, a stat related to how many shells we, we've we've sold. Yeah, so we're not we're gonna wait until we get to the next big benchmark before we actually report what our actual numbers are at any time. But we eclipsed fifty million rounds back in twenty seventeen. And so fifty million rounds, if you took all of those empty hulls mm-hmm. and you strung them together end to end, you could start at the Pheasants Forever headquarters, you know, on the on the border of White Bear Lake, Minnesota, mm-hmm. and string them and go all the way over to Anoka, down, get on the Interstate 35, down to southern Minnesota, take I-90, all the way out to Mitchell, South Dakota for the pheasant opener. And you're stringing shells that whole way along, along the road. And Mitchell, then, you turn south, you go all the way down to Oakley, Kansas, <laughs> you know, in western Kansas, home of the Governor's Ringneck Classic. Mm. There's the, some quail there, too. The northern end of the quail. I got into them last. Well, there's no quail there. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so some great country. Go down through liberal Kansas, mm. which is really where the good quail hunting mm-hmm. is in Kansas. Go through eastern, the panhandle of Oklahoma, all that great quail country through there. You're still laying shells down. You're still laying shells down. You get to Dallas. All the way to Dallas. Now you make a, uh, you turn east and you start heading across some great quail country in, mm-hmm. in Texas and East Texas and through Louisiana, through Jackson, Mississippi, home of Primos, <laughs> which is one of our brands, <laughs> and, and maker of a, a wonderful pheasant call, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and you can go all the way to Albany, Yeah, you Georgia. said it correctly. I've nice. been there. Yeah, nicely done. You know, home of the quail classic. Yeah. And then, so now we've we've hit the heart of pheasant country. We've hit the heart of quail country. We've been laying shells down the whole way. Now we turn north, and we're heading up to Washington, D.C., <laughs> and we're going to lay shotgun shells all the way up, and we're going to stop at the Capitol, and that's 50 million wow. shells. And we're going to say, Congress, all of these shells have been paying for conservation you know, how about a little something for the effort? Let's mm-hmm. uh, let's uh, let's boost CRP. You yeah. know, can we get a little more equip dollars? You know, those are the things that we could do. That's a that is an amazing stat. The yeah. visual uh, is also you know show stopping. Like, pick up your shells out there, folks. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing when you consider how many uh, how many shells have been shot, and every single one of them has gone back to create habitat dollars. So. Um, thank you. You know, the, the, the other pieces that just to tick some things off the list that you guys have always done, 
you know, like like you said, you know, we're a conservation group. We're a nonprofit. We come to you with our handout um, quite often, right? Mm-hmm. And you guys always say yes. You know, donationist shells for our youth events, Your inaugural partner build a wildlife area projects which create uh, public land and public access for hunters. Every year you've been a part of that uh, rooster road trip. You've been on every rooster road mm-hmm. trip with us. Every time we've shot at a bird. On the rooster road trip, it's been with a with a federal shell. Um, Hoppies, another Vista partner, and Camp Chef mm-hmm. uh, are both partners of the organization. National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, you guys are the presenting sponsor, which is going to be a, a home game for our for both of us this year. It'll mm-hmm. be Minneapolis Convention Center, February fourteenth, fifteenth, and sixteenth, presented by Federal Ammunition. So thank you for that. I, I mean, the list, the flush, uh, Rooster Tales with Ron Share Productions. Mm-hmm. We were co-partners in, in that show. Um, the list just keeps going on and on and on. You, you know, Federal, Pheasants Forever, and Quail Forever just are lockstep as partners out mm-hmm. there. And, you know, again, that's part of the message that I want our members to, to recognize out there is here is a company that is 100% committed to our conservation mission. And one thing that I've heard you quote a number of times is uh, the the connection to the farm bill, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a big reason. Like, when we come to you with asks, part of it is the chapter model where they can control the dollars and and you you know part of it is the geographic connection right we're, we're minnesota based and there's a natural affinity but a big part of why you support us is our work in washington dc it is it is and um you know i've got a political background but i'm not a swamp dweller i've never suffered potomac fever but <laughs> you've listened to our podcast before well bethany herb uh is a dear friend of mine and she she does have potomac fever a little bit uh, but montana will will cure that for her um so but we have a lobbyist that that we employ that works out he's actually my boss mm. uh he actually and so he works out in washington you have a boss i didn't know you had a boss well on on you have org charts. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Um, and so he's he's based in D.C., and obviously we have interests. We have Second Amendment issues. We've got export-import issues. We've got tariffs and all those things that affect our business. And it is it always surprises people when our lobbyist shows up in ag committee members' mm-hmm. offices or he's meeting with a member of the Defense Appropriations Committee and at the end says, oh, and by the way, it's very important to us that we have a strong conservation title right. in, in the ag bill, you know? And so we, we were just talking about some, you know, military contract maybe. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about the ag bill, right? 40 million uh, acres of CRP. Mm-hmm. We want that too. Right. And so we, you know, we stood up when, when, when you put the stake in the sand and said 40 million acres, we said 40 million acres. And some of our DC buddies, uh, said you guys are nuts that's mm-hmm. way higher and i said well if we don't start there you know we're gonna backslide and yeah. and look we did as well as we could this year and uh, so again trying to make sure that people understand that our ammunition is more than a commodity yep. you know there's advocacy in that shotgun shell because we're paying for our our lobbyists to be out there trying to get more acres 
uh, CP33, mm-hmm. you know, quail are important to our business. Yep. Bob the White buffers, are CP33s are known as. Right. And so all of the egg bill, all of those things, we are working on the Natural Resources Committee uh, as well, you know, working with Department of Interior on, on SAGE issues. Uh, John used to work for the Mule Deer Foundation. Mule Deer Foundation is another important partner working sure. on sage grouse issues. You know, these are all things that that we spend a lot of time working on and, and so federally and also at the state level. Yeah. You know, we have states that come to us and say, we want you to move your factory to our state. And the first thing we always talk about is, you know, what are you doing for conservation? Mm-hmm. What's your public land situation? You know, and I've, I've had some, some hard meetings with some le- legislators and, and, and governors that uh, take sportsmen for granted. We don't we don't want to see that. So those are things that we're we're doing now. You're never going to see us making big splashes publicly uh, on the political side because we're a publicly traded company. But I think it's important for our c- customers to know we we are looking out for them yeah. in D.C. and in the state capitals around the country as well. Because if we don't, yeah, our well, business goes away. And I can validate that. You know, you guys walk hand in hand as we talk farm bill legislation for you know title two conservation you guys Mm -hmm. are always there with us um we we teased earlier in the the episode about the desire to recruit more members and putting money where the mouth is and you guys have a a new program coming up uh, uh september 1st a rebate program john how can we convert all those pheasant hunters out there into Pheasants Forever members and use federal ammunition to, to help help make the decision easy? Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a lot about Prairie Storm um, on the episode, but we also have Wing Shock, which is another Pheasants Forever branded load. And so this new rebate program is another way and another avenue for federal premium ammunition to give back to Pheasants Forever and, and Quail Forever. And so... Um, there's a 10 box minimum. So if you buy 10 boxes or a case of Prairie Storm or Wing Shock product, you can choose to either get $5 back in a rebate to yourself, or you could check a box and we'll donate $6 a box to Pheasants Forever. And you then, in return, will get a Rooster Booster membership, which is a $75 value. So, first option, you could go back and get your $5 back to yourself per box, or that $6 per box that we then will donate on your behalf to Pheasants Forever, and then in return you'll also get that membership. And not to make it any better, but it's kind of like the uh, the old infomercial. <laughs> but you can also you do that. You, you, you can also get that times two. You can go up to 20 boxes, and then you will get not only the $6 a box back for every one of those 20 boxes that we will then donate to Pheasants Forever, but then you'll get a two-year Rooster Booster membership for you to be able to log in and get that going to you. And so you mentioned it starts September 1st, so all sales, um, no matter where they are, whether it be your local sportsman's, um, your local Cabela's, Bass Pro, whatever the case may be, um, through November 30th. So as long as you buy um, Prairie Storm or our Wing Shock that has the Pheasants Forever logos on there, September 1st, to November 30th, um, you can choose that. So that not only will then bring more funding back to Pheasants Forever, more support back from them, um, but it'll also then get you on the list and you'll be a Rooster Booster member. So 
well, let's walk through the mechanics a little bit more. So they save the receipt, right? Yep. No matter where, if they buy it, can they go online, federal, uh, federal's website and buy direct? Yeah. Or? So if you happen to go to your, your local retailer and you can't find the specific load um, that you're looking for, um, we do have a direct-to-consumer option on our federalpremium.com website now to where you can go on there. Um, we only have premium products listed, which all of these are. Um, so you can look on there and uh, and purchase directly from us but yeah so you'll want to keep your receipt um, and then you'll want to go on to our website to find the rebate information and it's now as easy as snapping pictures and uploading it right onto the deal check in a box whether you want the five dollars back to yourself mm. per box or if you want us to donate six dollars on your behalf back to pheasants forever so it's all online um, it's actually a really easy streamlined process um, and then after after it's processed and it's through then you will actually get a code um, from us on behalf of pheasants forever that you can then log on to their website um, to yep. go on and get your rooster booster membership it, it it's super well first of all thank you guys i mean that again uh, just another example of federal putting their money where their mouth is they you know, you guys could discount product, you could do rebates, but you're donating it back to Pheasants Forever. And beyond that, you're trying to help us recruit more members because you understand that more members mean more policy work in Washington, D.C., more habitat out on the landscape, more public access. So uh, thank you for seeing that. Yeah, strength well, in numbers. Well, in most rebates, you know, rebates are nothing new. You know, mm -hmm. lots of companies offer, you know, but it, that's putting cash back in the consumer's product. It's bringing the price of the product down for them. We're going to pay it either way. We're, mm -hmm. we're going to pay a rebate either way. Well, we're giving the consumer a chance to say, instead of putting that $50 per case in my pocket, let's put $60 in Pheasants Forever's pocket. So I, it's an experiment in in a little way. I mean, it's a social science experiment. <laughs> you know, will will people you know yeah. be magnanimous? And based on my experience with Pheasants Forever members and pheasant hunters, I I think it's going to be very successful. Well, and and Bob, correct me though on the rooster booster. So if if somebody's already a member yep. and they get this code, so kind of explain to them how that would work, and then also what ex what exactly a rooster booster membership level is, because some yeah. people they may all just have their I believe it's thirty five dollars for the associate membership, and so explain to them maybe what that rooster booster right level on, is. Right on. So rooster booster is the next step up. It's got a retail value of seventy five dollars. It comes with a rooster booster hat, which guarantees almost guarantees not missing, and you put the hat in the prairie storm together and you're like golden totally um but yeah so and if you're already a member say your, your membership is good till may of 2020 all this does it doesn't screw that up at all it takes a full year or if you buy two cases it takes a full two years and throws it on the end of your current expiration date so we're an organization that you know it it doesn't screw up with anything you currently have going. It just keeps tacking on years. So if for whatever reason there maybe is a snowstorm uh, the night of your banquet next year, well, your membership's good. Or maybe your, your daughter's got gymna a gymnastics meet. If you sign up for this program, it's kind of giving you that extra year membership to mitigate any sort of problems that you might have. Um, it, it, you know, and then the on, on top of that is um, – quail forever too right and you know if you're a quail forever member out there um there's a lot of shell options 
in the pheasants forever loads that fit or or grouse hunter um i always think about you know when i'm grouse hunting i buy pheasants forever load um wing shock seven and a halfs and 20 gauge yeah and right that's that's my go-to grouse load too so you know no matter what you chase there's an option here that you can play in and um you know add on a membership for you um so again that's it's it's play if you are out there as a bird hunter there it's like no it's a no-brainer to buy a case of shells and get involved in in this rebate program not to sound too um infomercially but uh you know a big point of this podcast was to get this um get this message out there that from september 1st through november 30th this uh this rebate program does exist uh like we said no matter where you buy your shells uh midway usa Cabela's, Bass Pro, Gander Outdoors, Orschlands, Runnings, um, anywhere, Dick Sporting Goods, you know, wherever you're buying shells, um, Federal, um, Federal's website. Keep that receipt, go on to the Federal website and uh, file a rebate program and help us recruit some new members. Yeah, and you'll start to see some of these, uh, some of the artwork, some advertising, and things going out. And and at some of your, you know, your walk-in retail folks will actually have some some flyers and things there for the rebates. But yeah, federalpremium.com, you can check it out. And we're excited to see how it's going to roll, see how it's going to go, and and hopefully be able to uh, to donate a bunch of money to Pheasants Forever to put it on the ground. Well, yeah, it'd be again, awesome. thank you for for doing that. Um, so I got two things that I want to bring up before we end the uh, end the podcast. One is a little bit of a tease uh, for new things coming down the road for uh, from Federal. Uh, for folks that are diehard brand advocates of Federal and, and have always shot Federal Prairie Storm, they know that there's there's a variety of 12 and 20 gauge in lead and in steel. But you guys have some big news for the 2020 hunting season related to prairie storm so if you're one of those i don't know it feels like there's six thousand of you that come up to me every (laughs) year at pheasant fest and say when are you gonna come out with a 16 gauge i've got an answer for you (laughs) 2020 it'll be a 16 gauge Prairie Storm. What else we got coming down the line, John? You, you, you were in the product meeting. Yeah, we also, uh, in addition to the 16, we also have another sub-gauge where we're going to be offering a 28-gauge in the Prairie Storm. So we've had a lot of requests. A lot of times we'll, we're actually, we'll send our engineers, our product engineers that are building and engineering these products to events like Pheasant Fest, and they get the chance to talk to our customers and find out what's actually wanted, what's actually needed, and then they go back and and put their minds to it, and they work through that. And so uh, we're excited to be able to have that as a product launch, and so um, you can check for that for that 2020 season where we're going to have a 16-gauge and a 28-gauge offering in the Prairie Storm. Out out of curiosity, why, why has there been like a decade where 16 and 28 weren't available for a prairie storm so the engineering of that flight control wad so the smaller you get with that remember what that wad does it's a solid cup and it's got its tail fins that deploy the narrower the tube the harder it is to uh, 
engineer it so that there's still capacity in there to hold hmm. enough shot to do the job. So we've been working on that. That engineering has been difficult. 16-gauge, even though the people that are 16-gauge shooters are a passionate, mm-hmm. boisterous, loud crew, <laughs> um, and I think I've met every one of them. Yeah. Um, Rayhan, we, we, we hear you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, we ha- we've had a Pheasants Forever 16 gauge load for quite a while, mm-hmm. but it it you know it's 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 still fairly niche product. It's growing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that 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 shotgun company that has the deer logo. I can't remember their name. They're out of Utah. They've uh, they've they've came out with that Sweet 16 last year or two years ago, and that that boosted interest in the 16 yeah. gauge a lot. And so we're seeing that 16 gauge is a it's a cool gauge. It it absolutely is. And then the 28 gauge again, you get narrower. Uh, it's it's the engineering is hard. It's a niche product, but those will be available. And one of the cool things that we did last year is we came out with a new shot in our turkey loads called TSS mm. Tungsten Super Shot. And Tungsten Super Shot is ultra dense. It's really expensive too. Just I'll be upfront with it. It's not cheap. It's tungsten that's sold by the ounce. It's expensive. It's a it's a precious metal. But we're loading. Uh, that in our turkey loads and out of our custom shop we are going to have upland loads available as well so somebody who wants to hunt with a 410 for pheasants it's possible today but let's face it those little 410 loads are pretty underpowered you know with a traditional lead number four shot or whatever you're shooting there and with a tss shot we can go to a much smaller shot we can go to nines and tens and have the same energy and killing power that we have in the bigger shot hmm. bigger diameter because of you know because it's so much heavier and we can make that work in 410 and 28 so we'll have those options as well um and you know we've got some other cool things i don't think we can talk about yet with some you know softer shot options but uh we you know our our engineers are constantly working look the ammo market is down now hmm. i mean there's no there's no doubt about that it has been for the last couple of years this is the time when we have time in our factories to really work on innovations, yeah. and we are. We're trying to come up with newer, cooler, better, cheaper, faster, because we have to. We're in a competitive marketplace, and uh, uh, we're working hard to come up with new cool things, and, and we listen. We go to Pheasant Fest every year. We listen. We hear. We know people want a softer-hitting uh, prairie storm, mm-hmm. you know, that it's on the list for the future. And Quail Forever members out there, um, your your voice is being heard too. They, so I'll be back for another podcast and, uh, <laughs> down the road. Um, all right, some lightning round questions about ammunition. Uh, curious uh, from both of you guys what your what your go to pheasant load is. We'll start with Ryan. What do you what are you shooting? Uh, Prairie Storm number fives mm-hmm. in two two and three quarter inch lead, or if I'm hunting uh, public areas or hunting with ducks, I'm shooting Prairie Storm steel, which is three inch, and I shoot number three shot. Okay, you're shooting twelve gauge most of the time with pheasants. Most of the time, yeah, yep. John, yeah, and so I shoot a, a my favorite pheasant load would be a, a PF one twenty nine FS six. So I'm a little bit smaller of a shot size there. It's a three inch load, um, and then non tox, I'm in the FS steel, so the Prairie Storm steel. Um, and then I like to shoot that in a four shot. So a little bit off from Ryan as far as what it is, but pretty close on to mm-hmm. onto par where he's at. Uh, all right, let's let's go to to quail. And you, I think you can categorize quail and rough grouse probably shooting similar loads. Unless you guys want to correct me if I'm wrong there, but I, I generally shoot the same thing between quail and, and grouse. 
what do you got? What are you shooting, John? Yeah, so I'm actually – you mentioned the load earlier as far as our wing shock load. So I'm in a, a P2046, so that's a Pheasants Forever branded wing shock load in a 20-gauge. So it's a one-ounce six-shot um, with copper-plated lead, shooting at 1350 and uh, just fantastic. I don't shoot and not hunt a lot of quail, um, but I do hunt, you know, grouse and woodcock, and uh, that load does really well. Yeah. That exact same load is my favorite for quail, um, you know, in, in the 20 gauge, if I'm doing that, or I'm, you know, I, I, I tend to hunt a lot with the 20 gauge, 28 gauge. So our one ounce P283 load in 28 gauge in seven and a half shot. Okay. So you, you mentioned sixes and you're shooting seven and a half. Yeah. So the, the wing shock does a six and then there's also a seven and a half yep. shot. And so depending on the season and the, you know, the, the area that I'm going, you know, six shot, obviously being that little bit of a larger shot, I would imagine for a quail, I'd probably be going to the seven and yeah. a half shot most yeah. likely for that, but not had the opportunity. Gotcha. And, but, but I'd be, you know, I've had times when I've been out West Idaho and we're hunting 12 gauges cause we're hunting chuckers and pheasants and things. If we're in quail ground and I'm carrying the 12 gauge, there's a lot of times that I'm just throwing in a trap load. Mm-hmm. You know, the perfectly, perfectly capable of taking a, a quail out to 25 yards. You mentioned earlier um, uh, prairie storm and the difference in how it disperses out of mm-hmm. the muzzle, right? And that's a frequent question that mm-hmm. I get: is okay, how do you choke prairie storm? What's what's the right choke that you're shooting out of it? Because it does have um, so much killing power. Mm-hmm. Um, how should you choke Prairie Storm? I use my factory improved cylinder choke. Okay. So it's just what came with me from the factory. Now I I have uh, I have used a Carlson choke tube mm-hmm. and it's spectacular. It really is. Um, but you know I've only got that for one of my shotguns. I've got a bunch of different shotguns and my go-to gun. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any other screwing chokes for it. I got what came with it from mm. the factory and improved cylinders, all I need. Yeah, and oftentimes with the technology that's there with the wad and with the shot, I mean, you know, sometimes less is more. A lot of people really look into, you know, wanting to dial that in and thinking they need such a tight choke. Um, so I'm usually either an improved cylinder or just a straight modified. And modified is usually what I'll use in, in a lot of my waterfowl hunting and what I'm doing that um, with the steel shot. And so, um, but you, with Prairie Storm and an improved cylinder, boy, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a deadly combination. So... Uh, I have no science behind this. It's just confidence, right? But I always, I tend to shoot skeet choke uh, with steel prairie storm. And now I'm running pointers, so I tend to get a little bit closer over birds. And my philosophy there is that that skeet choke is going to allow that pattern to open up a little quicker. Mm -hmm. Am am I accurate or am I, is it a mythology in my head? Yeah, if, if you've got, I mean, skeet choke, choke essentially is no choke it's a straight cylinder yeah you're not you're not it's going to open up a little bit more um from a measurement standpoint at 20 yards you know it's going to be hard to detect okay but it, it it certainly will open up quicker and with steel um it patterns tighter anyway because steel doesn't deform because it's so hard so it right. tends to pattern tight anyway um so you want to open up your choke so when i'm duck hunting it doesn't matter if I think I'm going to be past shooting 45-yard shots all day. Improved cylinder with with black cloud or prairie storm steel is what I'm shooting. Yeah, a lot of times with that steel shot, it's you know if you put in a if you put in a skeet choke 
with the steel, it's going to pattern like an improved cylinder would with lead. And so a lot of times you can kind of go one one choke tube difference as it gets tighter because, like Ryan mentioned, you know, it's a harder metal, so it doesn't deform like lead would. Okay. Um, two final questions related to just some of the ballistics. Uh, cleaning your shotgun. I know an awful lot of folks that clean their shotgun at the end of the season and then they don't do it again until the end of the season. <laughs> um, does that matter to to anything other than, you know, is that just being lazy or is there a ballistics reason to clean your shotgun during the season? Well, I think the first reason you want to clean your shotgun is function. Okay. Because, you know, a dirty shotgun, if it's an autoloader, dirty shotgun's action so can hang up. Yeah, that's a good distinction, right? Autoloaders, yeah. more moving parts. Right. But even even a, even a, an over-under or side-by-side, -side, you know, you don't want it dirty. You don't want it over-oiled. If you're hunting in cold weather mm -hmm. and you get too much oil in there or moisture in there, a firing pin can freeze and mm -hmm. not, not strike the primer. Um, and... Being an ammo company, we can tell you that 99% of the time it's not the ammo, it's the gun. Hmm. Um, it's maybe a little sli <laughs> slightly higher percentage for, for things. But uh, that's the first thing. But then uh, if you shoot a lot, if you shoot sporting clays or trap and things, you got to remember that plastic going down that barrel is hot. It's leaving plastic residue. It's eventually going to build up, and you can, you can start to get pressure issues. Hmm. Um, is it going to affect... The patterns and things, probably not, um, not a lot, but it could. Okay. So it's kind of like flossing. It's a good idea to clean your shotgun. Yeah, and, <laughs> and and not just that week before the dentist appointment, right? right? It's not just that that week before getting out there on opener, right? So yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like a car, right? You always want to make sure to take care of that car because when you're going to need that car to drive to work, you don't want to have an issue there with an oil light coming on or something like that. And so, you know, I'm a firm believer in always trying to make sure that my equipment is is up to snuff because if I'm going to drive out five or six hours to South Dakota to go chase birds mm -hmm. and walk the frozen cattail sloughs, the last thing I want is the gun not to work something to slow up the auto loader is not going to cycle whatever the case may be and so you know it, it doesn't take much to to you know throw in some some hoppies number nine and run a boar snake through there or or take some other lubricant and, and make sure that you find the right stuff too so like ryan mentioned something freezing up whether it's your firing pin or or you know some of the, the slide on an auto loader um you know, you want to make sure something that's going to be able to operate in high temps and low temps, and that's what's what's going to help you yeah. out on that. You mentioned the boar snake, and that was, I mean, that has made cleaning a shotgun so incredibly yep. easy. Yeah. If you if you got an extra twenty bucks, go buy yourself a boar snake, mm -hmm. and cleaning your shotgun is a matter of thirty seconds nowadays. Right, and plus, you know, you you put some hoppies number nine on there when you clean it, and then you put it. I put it in my pouch, you know, because sometimes you get you know some stuff in the barrel. Right. Um, I like the smell of hoppies number nine. <laughs> yeah, you're going out to South Dakota. You ought to wrap that thing around your rear view mirror and enjoy yeah. it as you're driving down the road. I mean, so, that's a nostalgia. You know, or Axe body spray <laughs> does nothing for my wife. Dracar. I can tell you're the same age as me in the 1990s guy's cologne, Dracard Noir. Oh, uh, all right, last question. This is a tough one because it's, kind of, it's more visual. Um, but tell us a little bit about patterning a shotgun um, and how, you know, why it's important and how you do it. 
Well, well, John, John's a a, a coach. He's got a he's got an uh, all American ATA shooter that he coaches. So I'll let him start, and then I'll offer my perspective. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you look at hunting, you can take it right back to to target shooting, right? Just like anybody that's going to go out deer hunting is going to go to the range and they're going to zero out their rifle before they go out. I would say it's got to be. 80 to 90% of people have never went to a pattern board or taken their shotguns out to pattern. So they don't know if they're hitting low or high or wherever they may be on their hold point um, and taking the time to either one, fit your shotgun to you, or two, make sure that you have the right choke tube for the loads that you're doing because it's going to vary as far as whether you're going to be you know, shooting a skeet or you're going to be shooting a modified choke or, or what it may be. And so to take that out, it's a very easy process. Um, you can do it at 20 yards. You can do it again at 40 yards after you do it to make sure that you know where that choke is shooting and where the majority of your shot is going to go so whether you're going to go through a need to to adjust and shim or or work on your shotgun to make it fit you right or you know maybe go out and buy another shotgun because you can never have too many of them (laughs) Um, but it is it's one of those things that you definitely want to do because just like a shotgun is very similar to a rifle if you're going to shoot high or low you want to make sure that you know because there's nothing worse then taking all the the time, money, effort, and and um, training you know, that oh, dog, training the traveling dog, six hundred miles. The dog's looking back at you, saying, "What in the world was that?" Because they haven't been able to to get feathers in their mouth yet. And so, um, very important and a very easy process. And if you don't know how to do it, um, I think that that's something that you know. One, you can look on a couple websites to check and see how the target shooters are doing it, and take that same concept over to wing shooting. Um, but also maybe that's something down the road that we can work with Pheasants Forever and the media teams to come together and do a quick, you know, YouTube video yep. just to show, you know, a five-minute process. Just like it takes 30 seconds to spray a little oil and run your boar snake through, it can take five minutes before you go out on the wing and uh, and take a shot at a pheasant, right? Maybe we can increase that success. So you should shoot at, you know, 20 and 40 yards. At 20 yards, you can really see where your point of aim is. Mm. Um, and one of the things that I do with a new shotgun, and I just bought a new shotgun because I'm getting ready to go to Arizona and I needed a <laughs> sub-gauge. Um, but you, you get your big piece of paper with the patterning board and you have your point of impact that you aim at. And you start with the gun down and you mount it and shoot it as soon as you get it up. Okay. And because that's how you that's how you hunt. Yep. You want to see where you're hitting. Now, if the gun fits you right and, and your technique is right, the center of the pattern will be where you want it to be. But you might find that the way that you mount the gun – I'm sorry that I hit the mic there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm mounting the gun with yeah. my hands. <laughs> so uh, if you come up and you mount the gun and you shoot and you see that you're hitting high, well, mm. probably, you know, your your head's, you know, too high and that mm. gun is pointing up. And so you need to know that. Some shooters like their pattern to be up above their bead, especially trap shooters, and they, they'll float the target. You need to at least know where it's hitting, and then if you can, make the adjustments to your gun. So that's first and foremost. But then you got to shoot at 40 yards and shoot the load that you're going to hunt with and shoot the choke you're going to hunt with. And if you shoot it and you see that there's a bunch of holes in your pattern that a pheasant could fit in, that's a problem. You you need to choke it down more or you need to try a different uh, ammunition combination. Um, you know, You need to go buy a case of Prairie Storm and fix that. You know. Donate sixty dollars back to PF in the process. That's there, right. there, well, that's that's a great note to end on. Um, we we'll have to get together and do the video. Yeah, I think it'd it. be a fun, just a fun activity too to go out and show that because it is. I mean, it's a five minute deal, and go out with your buddies or your your kids and go through that process because, you know. 
there's nothing more fun than being successful in the field and having that dog running back with the bird and yeah. and taking that whether you're with your your kids or your neighbors or your 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 best hunting buddies you know that's a huge deal and so if we can help that that's awesome. well and you know speaking from personal experience i think you're right the percentage of folks that have actually done that is pretty low because mm-hmm. i've never done it mm-hmm. so I'd, oh, like yeah. to, I'd like to do it and learn um uh, gentlemen you know thank you for spending your morning with me more most importantly thanks for uh, everything you guys do personally and professionally to support pheasants forever and quail forever on behalf of federal um it, you know we couldn't ask for better partners and for folks that are listening out there um i want to reiterate this invitation from september 1st till november 30th yep um buy a case of a federal prairie storm or federal wing shock with the pheasants forever logo um buy a case buy two cases and uh become a member of pheasants forever through that purchase and you'll be helping um, a great company that supports our conservation mission thanks very much fellas shoot them up we'll make more (laughs) yeah thank you (laughs) on cue uh ladies and gentlemen thank you very much for traveling alongside me for this episode of pheasants forever and quail forever's on the wing podcast i am bob st pierre hunting season is almost here get out there and stock up on prairie storm from federal ammunition thanks very much